Last December, Congress passed legislation establishing, for the first time, a Manhattan Project National Historical Park at several key sites across the country. The park will encompass once top-secret locations where plutonium and enriched uranium were produced and physicists first figured out how to split the atom to build nuclear weapons during World War II. I'm Meg Rosenberg, and on today's podcast, join me on a virtual road trip through our nuclear past as we examine the value of preserving these sites and take a look at what the future of atomic tourism might hold. I think for a piece of history like this, which is very easy to see in the abstract, it's important that people experience it as something that's alive and vivid and right in front of them. Dr. Alex Wellerstein is an assistant professor of science and technology studies at the Stevens Institute of Technology, and he studies the history of nuclear weapons and nuclear secrecy. I think that there is something powerful in actually going to actual sites, not just reading about them. I don't mean this in just a sentimental fashion, but when you're actually in these places, they're much larger than they are in the books. They're much more, uh, there is there is kind of a reality effect where it plugs into some part of your brain where it says, oh, this really happened. These were real people who, had, who did this. Uh, there are real consequences. I'm now tying myself into, when you're at these sites, you're tying yourself into this broader historical narrative Uh, And I think that's very effective. But when it comes to the Manhattan Project, the United States' massive underground effort to pioneer nuclear weapons during World War II, there has been no guarantee that key locations would be preserved for the public to experience that personal connection to the past until now. In 1997, a humble collection of buildings known as the V-Site at the Los Alamos National Laboratory were slated for demolition. Within these simple wooden structures, a plutonium bomb, the gadget, was assembled in 1945 for the first ever nuclear test, codenamed Trinity. These buildings, along with the other Manhattan Project sites, were and still are owned by the Department of Energy, which has been charged with cleaning them up, not preserving them. That's what brought things to a head in the late 1990s. Working for the DOE's environmental management program at the time, Cindy Kelly heard of the intended demolition and, alarmed, acted quickly. These sites would be gone if we hadn't started working on trying to preserve them and bringing some uh, attention by people like the Advisory Council for Historic Preservation. Los Alamos National Laboratory was was poised to destroy all of the Manhattan Project buildings that they owned. that were behind the fence. And it was only when that entire council of 25 people came out and said, oh my goodness, these are World Heritage Site quality. You mean you're going to destroy them? Anyway, that's how this all started. But it was really just in the nick of time. Kelly left the Department of Energy in the year 2000 to found the Atomic Heritage Foundation, a nonprofit organization devoted to preserving and interpreting the Manhattan Project and its legacy. As the president of the AHF, she has spearheaded the effort to save the Manhattan Project sites, and this park has been a clear goal from the beginning. It's been a priority for 15 years. You know, we were a catalyst, perhaps, but we could not have done it if the local governments at the three sites, the historical societies there, the Departments of Energy, Interior, and many other players hadn't joined us. 
and putting together this collaboration to preserve the Manhattan Project sites hasn't always been easy. In 2004, Congress called on the National Park Service to assess the feasibility of creating such a park together with the DOE. And almost eight years later, the two departments agreed upon a plan to define their roles and responsibilities. The Department of Energy would maintain and uh, deal with any environmental releases or hazards uh, and ensure the public safety at these facilities that they own. And that the Park Service's responsibilities would be as America's storyteller. They would interpret this Manhattan Project history and the role of these various uh, sites and facilities. The proposed Manhattan Project Park failed to make it through congressional hearings in 2012 and 2013, but was ultimately passed as part of the National Defense Authorization Act and signed into law by President Obama on December 19, 2014. It's really amazing that it actually worked, but the first step is just keeping these facilities around because uh, the Department of Energy is good at a lot of things, but preservation and historical uh, work of that sort is really not their number one priority, understandably, not because they're malicious, uh, just because that's not their job. The park contains three essential Manhattan Project sites. The three units are the laboratory and community of Los Alamos, New Mexico. This is where the brain trust of physicists and other scientists um, were located to design and test the first atomic bombs. The other two sites were where the ingredients for the first bombs were produced, that is the special nuclear material. Uh, enriched uranium, uh, which was used in Little Boy or the bomb dropped on Hiroshima, was produced in Oak Ridge, Tennessee. So that's a second site. The third site is Hanford in eastern Washington state, and that is where they produce plutonium, which was used uh, as the fuel for Fat Man or the bomb that was dropped on Nagasaki. One year from the time the act was passed, the National Park Service and the Department of Energy will have to spell out their respective roles in the Federal Register. And there's a lot to figure out, especially because some parts of each of these three sites have already been open to the public to some degree. And there are security controls and procedures in place now that need to be re-examined. They're going to take this next, you know, nine months to kind of hammer out, you know, when the public would have access to some of these facilities that have had only episodic uh, visitation. Those issues need to be decided as to you know, what, what's going to happen on day one and then how the rest of the park would come to life in the succeeding months and years. Once these logistics are worked out and all of the facilities are ready to open their doors, there's another question that remains to be settled. What will people find when they visit? Secondarily, yeah, there is this tourist aspect, so there's going to be a whole question of how is this going to be set up and what's the, what, what level of interactivity is going to be allowed, what will, the, what will everything say, how will they contextualize it, what will the rangers tell them, you know, what will be on the little handouts they give out. The Manhattan Project looms large in the history of modern physics and the development of ties between government, industry, and academic research. Using almost any metric you can think of, physical scale, technological achievement, cost, degree of secrecy, it was utterly unlike anything that came before it. This was one of the most significant undertakings in the 20th century uh, 
to have discovered how to harness the energy of the atom, you know, the dropping of the atomic bomb introduced nuclear weapons into the world. It was a challenge that mankind hadn't faced before. Uh, many of the leading scientists uh, talked about you know, a mountain that we needed to climb. Uh, they talk about how humanity has to look deep in its soul to avoid you know, an apocalyptic war. So they knew, those people working on the Manhattan Project, what it meant. And we've lived with this for 70 years. Interpreting the Manhattan Project for the public and understanding the myriad threads of its legacy is no small feat. It's a topic that many people feel very strongly about, one way or another. Even from the day after Hiroshima, people were saying, is this a good thing or a bad thing? What does this mean? What should we do next? Uh, are we going to be targeted next? What's the future of the world? Is this a weapon of peace or a weapon of you know, self-annihilation? What's it going to end up with? Kelly sees the establishment of the National Historical Park as a chance to embrace this ambiguity and find lessons for the future in the events of the past. And it's an important then for those today to think about how have we avoided this and how can we in the future um, take full advantage of all the good things that have come with uh, atomic energy and keep the damper on those evil things that are um, also bound up in knowing how to create uh, an atomic explosion like this. In some ways, the controversial aspects of the Manhattan Project provide an opportunity to showcase the process of history, to explore what it means to engage with and interpret the past. The history is really complex. It doesn't really lend itself to easy political interpretation. You know, rational people can come to different points of view on this question of how much it should or shouldn't be celebrated as either a technological feat or an ending the war feat or something like that. There isn't necessarily one answer or one narrative to make sense of everything. It gets messy. It's really hard to get people to not regard history as kind of a story that we tell, right? Where people don't really feel that there's a whole lot of difference between uh, the story of World War II and Game of Thrones, right? These are both like riveting narratives and they have lots of complexities and some people are in them are really terrible and some people are more uh, ambiguous and some people are the good guys. And there can be a blur where people are not intuitively feeling like this actually, <laughs> these are actual people. You can meet their descendants. You can go to their houses. You can see that this was around and, and, and really have a moment of uh, historical empathy where you suddenly see, oh, this isn't a neat story of, you know, pure brains or perfect characters or anything like that. It's really, uh, these are people not a whole lot different from the other people in your life, just because we're all, you know, basically the same template. But for now, all of these issues of interpretation take a backseat to making the park operational in the first place. There are lots of different ways to approach the tourism side of the Manhattan Project sites, but it's exactly that malleability that makes them so valuable. Los Alamos, Oak Ridge, Hanford, these are places that raise questions and encourage conversation. As long as we don't destroy the reactor, right, or as long as we don't destroy the enrichment side or destroy these, these sort of sites around which we can have these discussions, we can keep having these discussions for a long time and we probably will. Uh, and that's, in my mind, that's great. We should be having these discussions. It's an interesting issue because it is controversial and people have strong opinions on multiple sides, but um, there was a common sense of 
this should be saved. This is so important. Whether we agree on exactly what it means for today or what what was good or bad about it, um, it was so important and it was such a watershed for for America and, and the world. And after 15 long years, that impulse to save the Manhattan Project sites has finally paid off. It was just, you know, I had to keep saying, I got to pinch myself. Did this really happen? Uh, because up to the last minute, it was touch and go. It was just like the Manhattan Project. There was absolutely no certainty this was going to work. To me, this subject matter is just endlessly fascinating. So many interesting things about human nature, about science and technology, about, you know, the way the world works. You can read more about the new Manhattan Project National Historical Park on our website, physicsbuzz.physiccentral.com. I'm Meg Rosenberg, and you've been listening to the Physics Central Podcast.